The work of God is this. To believe in the one He has sent. Believe. It's a word you'll find throughout the New Testament, but mostly in John, or at least more often in John. If you take all the times you find the word believe in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and add them together, you come up with 54 times. That's a pretty significant and important word. But in John's gospel alone, it's 84 times. John is emphasizing this word believe even more so for very good reason. And, and this passage is just one of them where you see this word come up again and again. And that's what we're going to look at today in this sixth chapter of John, the, the occurrences of the word believe and why it's there and what that means for us. Because the question I began with this morning is, you know, what, what is the work of God? What is it God expects of us? And, and this question was given to Jesus. And as we, as we think about the days that we've endured and have lived through throughout the last two years, and as it seems to be winding down in many ways right now, and life is, is slowly returning to a sense of nor- normalcy, perhaps in some ways a new normalcy, but I think it's safe to say things are better. The fact that we're here today, things are, are better. And so as we re-emerge into life, re-enter into life, it's sometimes good to kind of take stock of the, the attitudes that we bring to each day. And work is part of our lives. If you watch the, um, the daily videos I do, I focused on that in the week, um, the week past, about the work of God and how work is a good thing, how work was present with people before there was sin. Adam and Eve were in the garden to work the garden before they fell into sin. So work has always been intended to be good, and it's not just the work that we do, it's the work that God does in us. And so what is the work of God? That's kind of to, to reorient ourselves, to, to refound ourselves upon the work of God in our lives as we go forward into whatever changes, whatever differences there are. Because I think we all realized quite a while ago that for the rest of our lives, we are going to talk about the pandemic in the past, and everyone's going to know what we're talking about, of course. They remember those days, and not just remembering that it happened, but remembering what it did to us, what, how, how it affected you and your family and our community, our nation, and even the world. And, and what if we're going to, to learn things from it, we need to apply that to all areas of our life, including our work. Sometimes we look to God and think that maybe even just subconsciously that God is almost like a taskmaster and we have work we have to do for God. And that's true, and yet it's not. It's, it's, if we think of work as, as, as drudgery, if we think of work as earning something, then no. So this is why Jesus gets to this definition that the work of God is to simply believe. Or if you pull that word apart, believing, be living. Be living like this. Because if it is just something that you keep here between your ears, if it's just brain exercise, yeah, I believe in that, like I acknowledge that that's true. But it doesn't go 
forward from that, if it doesn't go from your brain to your voice and impact what you say and what you don't say, if it doesn't go to your hands and who you touch and your feet to where you go, then it is just a brain exercise. Then it is just a nice thought. But if believing is be living as Jesus did, that gives a whole new depth of understanding to what it is that God asks and expects of us. This is a quick um, summary. It's, it's on the outline that we handed out uh, of John 6. Again, it's a long chapter. We're not going to read all of it, but just to give you an idea of, of the context of the storyline that we're jumping into. Just the day before this, Jesus fed 5,000 people. You're probably mostly familiar with that story. There was a big crowd there. It was time to eat. There was no one had food. They were too far away from town. What are we going to do? And one of the disciples found a, a little boy who had lunch. That was about it. And Jesus took that little bit of fish and bread and miraculously multiplied it to feed this entire crowd of 5,000 plus people. So that was the day before. Now, what also happened was the disciples with Jesus got into a boat. And when they were out on the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up and they thought they were going to lose their lives. The boat's going to capsize and we're going to drown. And Jesus somehow slept through this whole time of the boat rocking back and forth. That, that, to me, is, a, is, is one of the big parts of the miracles of that story. Like, like Jesus is sleeping during a, a boat rocking back and forth. I, I, I can't sleep in much of anything. Uh, I get a thunderstorm in my house, and the house isn't moving, and I'm awake. You know? but, but here's Jesus, completely calm, and they wake him up, and they're freaking out, and they say, Lord, do something, and he does. He speaks to the clouds, the wind, or the waves, and he calms them. And they all saw that. And that's a great story, too. What's one of the great notable things about that story is that they, they were terrified about the wind and the waves and the storm, as, as any human being would be. But at the end of it, after Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves, they looked at him and they were terrified of him. Like, we kind of like this guy. We, we, I think we love him, but wow, who is this that commands the wind and the waves? Wow, great story. Well, those things just happened. They get to the shore, and then they find that among the 5,000 people that were fed the day before, a big bunch of them got into their own boats and followed, or at least close by, or they heard where he was. And so they got out on the shore near Capernaum, and they were looking for him. And that's where we pick it up in the 25th verse, which is when they found him on the other side of the lake in 25. And then Jesus is kind of already hinting at where he's going to go with this discussion that takes place for the bulk of the sixth chapter after this. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, are you really looking for the way of God by following, or are you looking for your next meal? Now, I don't want to be overly critical of them. These were people that probably many of them didn't often know where the next meal was going to come from. And so if I've got a family, and I was fed yesterday by this guy, and I hear he's nearby, and I still don't have much food to, for today, yeah, I'm probably with that crowd, okay? But Jesus still understood that was their true motivation. 
Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And now listen to their question for Jesus here. This is in the 28th verse. What must we do to do the work God requires? It's a doing thing. God expects us to do things. What can I, what must I, what shall I, what do you require that I do, Lord? And what Jesus goes on to teach here, and they're not going to get it right away, is that it's not what God expects of us. It's what God has done for us. Don't believe in your own efforts, your own way, your own, your own goodness, your own adherence to rules, your own, the way, we ever, the way everyone else sees you, your own identity. All those things we can bring in the area of earning our way into some kind of connection or relationship with God. And it is not what you do for him, it's what he has done for you. And believing that is where the truth lies. Believing that it's not my efforts, but the fact that I'm loved already, such as I am, broken, sinful, messed up, whatever it might be, wherever, you're all, wherever you are, God still loves you. And that's the message he was going to convey to them. So this word believe comes up here in the 29th verse about, again, the, the work of God is to believe in Jesus with that understanding of Jesus, to believe in, in the one God has sent to be living like him to believe that it's not what we do for him, but what he's given to us. Belief that requires evidence is not belief. Let's go to the, the 30th verse now, a little further down in this same chapter, as this long discussion begins with people from this crowd who had just eaten from the fish and the bread the day before. <clears throat> Jesus answered the work of... No, excuse me, uh, 30, verse 30. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Now this is a little bit disingenuous on their part. 24 hours earlier, he fed a crowd. He gave a huge buffet to a whole lot of people for free. And it was good. And they all had their fill. And it's like, well, okay, that was yesterday, Lord. What are you going to do for us today? What have you done for me lately, God? Hmm. You ever been there? Like, you can look back in your life and you've had moments where it's undeniable that God was with you and he helped you through something and you're so grateful for that. Or he provided something for you in some way. But as time goes on, it gets to be, well, that was then, but this is now. Like, like how are you going to show up here today in this circumstance, is it going to be the same like that? Or can you just give me a repeat of that, God, please? Give me a sign that you're with me. And what Jesus is trying to convey to them and to us now is like the chair with the kids. He's there. He's ready to go all the time. Do you have the faith to sit? Do you have, you, you have the faith to trust him and, and to lean on him in this moment, even if you haven't gone through it before? Even if it is different, even if it's harder... <laughs> The same God is still with you. Do you believe today in this moment? And if we look for evidence, it's, when I say evidence, it's not that 
we don't trust in, in the word, of course, that gives us the story of Jesus and the things that he did. So there is evidence to that degree. But if we're just looking for something new, like, God, if you'll do this, then I'll believe. If you give me a sign, then I'll believe. And Jesus is saying, no, that's really not faith. That's not belief. Believe that Jesus will provide what we need. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He begins a discussion with them about bread and his body. And he's speaking of himself as the bread of life, that which we need more than anything else. We, we need to eat every day, and, and, and bread is the most common component of, of most meals throughout the world in some form of bread or another. So daily bread makes a lot of sense. And so when we trust God for our bread, that should be a sign in our physical self that, okay, I can trust God for giving me what I need spiritually as well and to trust him for that. I mean, we do trust God literally for our daily bread, though. That's why, hopefully, we pray before our meals to thank God. Do you believe that planet Earth contains enough food for all the people on this planet? And how'd that happen? Well, the farmer made it. Yeah, okay, well, how did the farmer do it? He's got machines. Yeah, okay, he's got seeds. Where they come from? I mean, it all comes back to a seed. How does a seed work? I mean, I'm sure that those who study that area of science are, are fascinated and can answer a lot of questions about what it takes for a seed to open up and to grow and become that plant that grows grain, that becomes food, food that we make into bread, food that feeds the, the animals, that we eat the meat from their bodies. So, so it all goes back to the little seed, right? Maybe that's why Jesus talks about mustard seeds and, and the tiniest of seed can be the greatest of faith. And, and, and so, but a seed can lie dormant for years, decades, centuries, just as dead as a stone on the ground. And then you put it in the ground and when the right conditions, a little bit of moisture and temperature and boom, it grows. How'd that happen? That's God. Your daily bread comes from God. No questions about it, absolutely positively. Yeah, there's a whole lot of hands in the process from the day that seed's in the ground till it's, it's that wonderful bread before you, but it all goes back to God. Do you trust Him to provide it? Believe, excuse me, belief is more than seeing. Verse 36, but I, as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. I'm sure all of us as followers of Jesus share in these moments that sometimes when things are rough, it wouldn't, we just think, God, it would be really great if you would just show up right here, right now. I'm, I mean, physically, literally, sit next to me, stand next to me, give me a pat in the back, give me a, a, give me a hug, just tell me it's going to be okay in that way. That would be really awesome, wouldn't it? Well, you know what? That man walked the earth. And how many of those people, while many followed, and 12 of them were selected to follow very specifically for that he would train to be his disciples 
and apostles, when he got to the cross, how many of them were still there? He had to go alone because only he could do what he did on the cross. Okay? And he didn't want his, his followers to be crucified with him. But if we think that only seeing is believing, then why didn't the people with Jesus die with him? Peter, the, the, the most passionate follower of them all, denied knowing him when it got really tough. When Jesus is on that, in that mock trial in the high priest's house. So seeing, no, belief is more than seeing. Belief is in your heart. Belief is, is you, you trust in the creator of the world who has blessed us that this, this story and the pages of this story and the, and the verbal part of the story has carried through. By the way, most Christians in history didn't have a Bible. Now, today, it's available all over the world to most people who want one. Not everyone. This, this printed word. But you go back just a few centuries and... Most of the world couldn't even read because books were expensive and education was expensive. And only the upper class even had the chance to read, let alone write, let alone record. So how did they get the message? It was told. The story was told. The story was told. I'm glad it's written down. Praise God it's written down. But it's also the message that comes to us. And, and I trust in the message. I believe the message. I believe in the one God has sent. I believe his name is Jesus. I believe that, that he went to the cross and died and rose again. Amen? That's what we believe. That's what, that's what this is based upon. Not seen. Believe that eternal life starts now. Verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And in the 47th verse, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. So eternal life is both then and now. We just prayed a few moments ago. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's always been that way, but, but too often we get this idea that, well, eternal life, that's what happens when I die. Well, it is, but it's already started. It's already in you. The, the word in the Greek for, for um, eternal life, um, it, it varies, a couple of them, but one of them is, is, is aeon, and it means life of the ages, this, this endless life. So, so life is here, obviously. We're living, we're breathing, we're knowing, and so we are already participating in eternal life through faith in Jesus. Now, it's just not fulfilled yet. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about a mirror dimly. We look in mirrors now, and it's, it's really clear. It's crystal clear. Sometimes it's too clear. <laughs> oh, I don't want to see all that. You know? <laughs> more, more lines, more gray in the beard. This has gone long ago, so I don't even think about that. You know? but, but that's what I see in the mirror. I, I, I see this image of me. But in, in Paul's day, a mirror was, was not anything like that. It, it was the basic idea. There was a reflection there, but... Only the rich could afford the best ones. And even the best ones were probably a little distorted, a little cloudy, scratched, dim, through a mirror, dimly. So that's the difference between this life, 
this eternal life now and the eternal life in heaven. We can see a glimpse. There's something good there. We don't know quite know it yet. We can get a little taste. While it tastes good, I like more, but we're not ready for it yet. It sounds beautiful. I can touch on the sound a little bit, but I'm not there yet. So eternal life is both now and then, Jesus is promising as he's talking to, to this crowd. Not everyone who follows truly believes. Now what happens here in between the 47th verse and the 64th verse is this extended discussion about Jesus being the bread of life. And he says something in the middle of this that is very, very troubling. He says in the 41st verse that I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they press him on that. They talk about manna in the desert that their people were given to through Moses. You remember those stories? When they were in the wilderness wandering for 40 years, they're literally, literally in the desert. How are they all going to eat? God gave them manna, a bread-like substance that was on the ground every day, and they would have enough for the day. If they tried to hoard it or, or keep it into the next day, it would spoil. They had to trust him for it every day. And so they're comparing what Jesus is saying as the bread of life, that, well, this bread came every day. I'm giving you something that's going to last forever. But then... He says in the 53rd verse, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoa. Jesus. Wait a minute. Now, I think at some level they understood that he's, he's talking in metaphor. Teachers would, would do that. But when he says it so plainly, and they pressed him on it, and he said it in more stark terms. Well, Jesus, you can't be talking about cannibalism here, but what are you talking about? This makes no sense to us, Lord. We don't understand. And people began to slip away. And this big crowd, I don't know how many followed him from the 5,000 the day before, but it was hundreds at least, let's say. John doesn't give us a number, but it was a lot of people that were excited about the food and kind of excited about Jesus, maybe he's going to be the Messiah in their own definition of that, like a political Messiah, or be our, our king to you know, get these Romans kicked out of here so we can be a free people again. You know, is that what they were thinking? And they had a lot of motivations going on there. But when Jesus started talking about eating his body and drinking his blood and didn't really talk anything more about it at that moment, what on earth are you saying, Jesus? And some of them started to, to slip away. And in that sixth, fourth verse, it says, Jesus is saying this, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Um, so there's, there's a lot of cracks forming, and then they just kind of all begin to walk away, except for a few of them. And believe that Jesus, I should say, is the, is the Holy One of God. Believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That's what it comes down to. Now, there's a couple of good notes in here to, to realize that why did some of them stick it out when things didn't make sense and others didn't. 
So I mentioned in the sixth chapter, we had the feeding of the 5,000, a big crowd, everybody's excited, they follow them around the lake. What happened in between there to the 12? The 12 apostles, 12 disciples with Jesus in the boat, he brought them through the storm. The rest of the crowd didn't have that. And so even though the disciples don't understand, the 12 that is, understand probably a whole lot better than the rest of the crowd what Jesus is getting at, they didn't let what they didn't understand derail what they knew in their heart. Now, do you hear that? They didn't let the things they can't explain logically stop their faith in believing in the Holy One, the one that God has sent. And that's faith. Because if you haven't been there already, and maybe you're there now, and every one of us at different times in our lives are going to run into things that we cannot explain that don't seem to add up, that just don't feel fair. Why is this happening, God? What is it about God that, that, that confuses you? What is it about in your life where, where you wish it had gone a different way and why didn't God stop that, change that, redirect that? But here you are. What makes the difference? Has God brought you through a storm before? Can you look back to that storm where you thought it was all over, but there's Christ with you in the waves, in the storm, in the thunder, in the lightning, in the wind, and the tumultuous events of whatever that storm was, and you know He was there, and you look back and say, thank you, God, that you were there. Now, this is a different storm, but I'm going to trust you in this one, too. That's what the 12 were able to do. Maybe not just because of that storm, but it's certainly a key thing here between the feeding and between Jesus talking about giving his own body as, as food somehow. What does that mean? One more key verse back in the beginning of the sixth chapter at the fourth verse. Time markers are really important in Scripture, especially in narrative passages, obviously. So in the fourth verse of chapter six, it says, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Passover, the day where they celebrate the blood of the lamb, going back to the Exodus. Blood of the lamb on the doorpost that saved that family from the angel of death and passed over their house. To this day, Jewish communities celebrate that day, which is coming up very soon. Well, it was Passover one year before the Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples when he took them into an upper room and they were celebrating their Passover, the Passover, together. And then during the meal, he took some bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the wine. He says, this is my blood poured out for you. Now, I won't pretend to know what those 12 people were thinking, okay? Actually, 11 at that point, okay? <laughs> but, but if I were there, wow, is that what he was talking about last year? Remember that? We, after the feeding of the 5,000, he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and, 
I don't really think the 12 understood any better than the rest of the crowd in that moment when Jesus said that, what the heck he was talking about. But they believed in the one that God has sent, so they didn't let what they didn't understand derail the one who was in their hearts, who they believed in already. And But a year later, God gave them the answer. A year later, Jesus said, this is my, this is my, my body, this is my blood. And then the practice of continuing to, to break bread and to share in the cup has been carried on to the church, in the church ever since, in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of traditions, all pointing back to how Jesus is the bread of life, how his blood has provided this forgiveness, and we're thankful for that. But when he said it, they didn't get it. And that's okay, because they believed in the one that God has sent. We'll wrap it up with two familiar passages of Scripture that the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Not, I, I'm not going to be in lack, or some versions say, I don't lack anything. Because Jesus is my shepherd, He's going to provide for me. And that includes, if you're a sheep, green pastures and quiet waters. In other words, your daily food, your daily provision, or provision in all that you need. Because he is my shepherd, because Jesus is my shepherd, I'm going to have everything that I need, including the food and the water that I need to live on, and all else too. And, the, and of course, that psalm goes on to talk about you know, protection from your shepherd with the rod. And, and, to, and to carry you to different places and, and to take you through the, the times of darkness and doubt and the shadow of death. That's what your shepherd does for you. But you have that same connection with food in the 23rd Psalm. To trust God for your food as a sign of trusting in Jesus as the bread of life to provide for you spiritually what he also gives you physically. And then the Lord's Prayer. After we express who God is, our Father, and, and his, his holiness, and His name, and, and desire for His kingdom, and His will to be done in heaven, on earth. The first thing about ourselves is bread. Give us our daily bread. And so this is, is so important as to, to kind of wind this up now. The work of God in our lives is to believe in the one that He sent, and to believe in such a way that I trust Him to provide my needs. I trust Him to show me the way. I trust Him to lead me through the storms. I trust Him even when I don't understand what's happening. I trust Him because He is indeed the one that God sent. So the end of this sixth chapter at the 65th verse, and it says this. <clears throat> he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, may that truth penetrate our lives, our hearts, our minds. 
regardless of what we're facing right now or those that we love are facing, regardless of the fears that, that have latched on to our hearts, may we trust you to provide all that we need. Our good shepherd, our Lord, our provider, the one who God has sent. In his name we pray, amen.